What's happening, everybody? This is Ryan here for The Scale-Up Show. I have Harpy Singh on today, which is something different, man. This guest is a two-time founder, currently a VC investor. His firm was actually founded by the CEO, and he's partners with the former CEO of Google, Eric Schmidt. Uh, really, really cool insights that he has from a macro perspective in terms of the startup scene. Uh, has invested in companies like Uber and SoFi, investments, which is really, really cool at early stages. And so his perspectives are really unique and highly differentiated. You're not going to want to miss it. If you're looking for funding, if you just want to understand the whole like space as a whole with how AI is affecting at a rapid rate development and creation of startups, check it out. How do you grow like a VC-backed company without taking on investors? Do you want to create a lifestyle business, a performance business, or an empire? How do you scale to an exit without losing your freedom? Those are the questions, and this show is the answer. Welcome, everybody, to the Scale Up Show. This is your host, Ryan Staley, and I have a very special guest with me today. I have Harpy Singh. Harpy is a partner at Innovation Endeavors. I'm going to explain a little bit about his background. So, Check this out. He met his founding team at Stanford, ideated for about six months, created a startup, sold it about six and a half years later, then decided he wasn't done yet, built another startup, uh, then sold that, uh, became a Stanford professor, which he still is, specifically on startup creation, and then joined Eric Schmidt, who is the former CEO of Google's, one of his funds called Innovation Endeavors. And he's a partner there, and they invest in merging tech and tools for builders, They've done seed rounds for organizations like SoFi as well as Panther. And then on top of it, they also funded Uber Series B. Harpy, welcome. Happy to have you on the show, man. Ryan, it's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, yeah. I mean, with that background, we're, we're going to pull on all sorts of things to, to extract all that knowledge from your brain within, what, 25 minutes because your intro was so long. But there's a lot of stuff I wanted to highlight there. So... Why don't I not do you any injustice? I would love to hear just like real quick background on you, yourself, what you're doing at Innovation Endeavors and what you're focused on. And then we'll kind of take it from there since you're more on the investor side. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, let's dive into it. So I uh, quickly, I grew up in India, um, came here for a PhD, um, got a master's and decided that was it. And then I was a software engineer for four years. Um, and uh, then I was a founder for about 18 years. So like you said, I met my co-founders while I was in grad school at Stanford, wanted to start a company and uh, had an idea that we were working on. And three weeks before we graduated, we just, we realized that we were too late to the market. So we killed the idea, but we liked the team. So we became this team before an idea and we committed to each other for six months and uh, uh, looked in different spaces, came up with multiple ideas. And our first company was in the wireless infrastructure space. Um, we built it um, over six, seven years, as you said. And after that was acquired, we all took some time off and the same founding team came back together. And uh, we started another company, this time in data analytics. And uh, after that was acquired, you know, I, I spent some time teaching at Stanford and uh, I joined Innovation Endeavors, um, IE uh, or Innovation Endeavors. We had an early stage fund. Uh, we typically invest in seed and series uh, founders. So we like to get involved with companies that are maybe pre-product market fit, um, most haven't figured out go to market, and we invest in emerging tech applied to big physical world problems, and we invest in uh, enterprise infrastructure. So, you know, we we are looking for opportunities where there is um, the ability to apply compute and data 
to rapidly iterate through um, uh, innovation cycles and really bring sort of tremendous uh, speed to the market. So this is this is what we call super evolution, um, and we have you know invested in a lot of companies in supply chain, logistics, transportation, climate, life sciences, as well as on the enterprise infra side in cybersecurity, machine learning, data infrastructure, dev tooling, and areas like that. Okay. Wow. So there's a lot to unpack there. So let's talk about super evolution because I've never heard anybody exactly phrase it that way before. Can you go a little bit deeper on exactly what that means and then how to execute it in the real world for real world problems, right? We'd love to just hear some examples. Yeah, absolutely. So I think if you just look around, you know, things are done uh, the same way as they were done maybe decades ago in you know, how your food gets to you or how things are transported and so on. Um, and our thesis is that with new data and compute, um, you are able to come up with automation, you're able to come up with decision-making. Um, that's much faster. Um, so we're looking for opportunities that allow you to iterate through these innovation cycles at, you know, 1,000x the velocity with maybe 1,000 the cost. So if you look at areas like, you know, genomics, if you look at, uh, you know, what has happened in cloud and the explosion in data and so on, I think there is so much uh, data and there is, you know, all this compute available both in the cloud and in the edge that the founders are able to run fast experiments. And, you know, instead of people wearing coats running experiments, you can have machines run, you know, running these experiments quickly and you can run many, many experiments in parallel. So we are funding a number of entrepreneurs who are able to go through this uh, discovery cycle quickly. And that's what we call super evolution, where you can design products at much higher velocity at a much lower cost. Okay. Love that. Right. And I'd imagine that it's even gotten more accelerated with the democratization of AI, you know, over the last almost 12 months now, but probably less than that, probably 10 months. It feels like 12 years. So yeah, it was January. Yeah. So, so walk us through that. Did, and I want to make sure I heard you right. Did you say a thousand X the speed at what a 10th of the cost, something, something like that, were those your ratios? Or even a thousandth of the cost. If you look at what it costs us to, you know, sequence now, yeah. Um, or if you look at what compute costs you versus, you know, 10 years ago, the costs are rapidly falling. So, I think to do the same unit of work, you can do it much faster at a much lower cost. Okay. So and the, data, the, the data that you can tap into, both the data that you generate internally by using you know, sensors and so on, and the public data sets you can use, there's so much more that you can sit on uh, to, 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 um, that, that becomes the basis and becomes inputs for your uh, okay. Um, experiments. Okay, so so let, let's let's go through a real world scenario because I'm sure you've seen this, especially since you invest in pre product market fit companies and see companies. So, like, and and I know you you taught the course on this right at at um, Stanford. Mm -hmm. So, like, if you were creating a startup today, right, like literally today, we're recording this mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. August 30th of 2023. You're starting this today. Mm -hmm. Everything that happened. Like, how would you approach it? Everything from, and I know this is a loaded question, so we don't have to go super deep yeah. unless yeah. unless we start nerd out. But but yeah, like, how would you create that today? What would you focus on? And how would you build it from the ground up to have that rapid uh, innovation kind of path at, at a reduced cost, like a ridiculous reduced cost? Like, how would you create it? How would you run it? 
Uh, go. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, if, if you sort of boil it down, the fundamental advantage that startups have over, over large companies is the speed of iteration, right? Yeah. If, you can, if you can iterate and evolve, you know, 30 times a week versus once every three months, you know, you're just on a very different slope. Right. So that's, that's what we are looking for in founders that we invest in. And that's what we try to do in our, in my own startup. Um, you know, how can, how can this, you know, smart group of founders run experiments very quickly and iterate and basically out execute everybody else. Yep. Okay. So, and let me ask you this, do you think it's a hundred percent requirement, like hard requirement for investments you make to have multiple co-founders or have you ever invested in anybody that there's just a single founder? We've invested in plenty of single founders, um, but having done a couple of startups myself, I think almost every solo founder I talk to, they, they, they'll always tell you that they wish they had a co-founder. <laughs> it's true. Well, and then even if you look at the stats from like Y Combinator, I think they looked yeah. at all the unicorns, right? And I think the highest percentage was, I think the sweet spot was like two founders or maybe three founders right in there was kind of like the sweet spot of the highest level of success. So. Um, so that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. No, it's, 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 um, it's definitely quite a ride. So it's good to have kind of soulmates along for the, for the journey. Sure. It's true. It's a hell of a ride. So, so keep, let's keep moving forward with this. So, so build this out. So like, what's the three to five step framework you would leverage based on your experience and how you invest in companies for building the company out, right? You have the advantage of accelerated speed and three X to innovation of a bigger company. Like, how would you deploy that? What would be, you know, kind of strategy and tactics you would leverage to execute that? You know, so I think um, you can boil it down to a couple of things that ultimately every startup needs to, to, to achieve. And I think keeping a burn low and testing for product market fit is what it is all about in early stages. And once you figured out that, that you built a product that users want, it's about, okay, can I scale my go-to-market motion mm-hmm. in, a, in a cheap, effective manner versus just throwing money at it? I think if you get those two things right, you build a product that customers love, and, ooh, sorry, I'm in a conference room here. Uh, okay. It's, I think it was awesome that you were talking about how you keep your burn rate low and your costs low, and then the electricity goes out. Like, totally. I think that's great timing. <laughs> So anyways, for those of you listening, that's what happened. He's Harpy's in a guest office somewhere. I'm not going to say where it is unless he wants to. And he he's chilling, he's rocking, and all of a sudden the lights just go dark. So Yeah, I'm, a, I'm at a large company in Seattle, so we'll leave it at that. It narrows it down to a couple. So anyways, keep going, man. Yeah, so um, um, coming back to what I was saying. So I think you're, you're basically in a race against time on park market fit. Um, on go-to-market, and you want to do that as quickly as possible with the lowest amount of dollars. Right. And I think it's not an easy job. I mean, it's easy to kind of um, summarize it like that, but it's not an easy job. Many, many startups don't do that. And uh, I think if you can zoom into the right KPIs for you that tell you, that, that give you an indication of product market fit and sort of measure what really, uh, whether you're adding value to your customers, uh, and then you can sort of put afterburners on it uh, from go to market. I think that's that's those are the two things that need to come together. Yeah, I think I agree with you. I, I think that makes sense. And so, what are the three KPIs you would look for for product market fit? 
And then what are the, the three KPIs you look for for go-to-market? I'm just seeing if it mirrors what I've heard other people talk about. Um, I think, um, I mean, at qualitative level, what you're trying to really answer is have I built something valuable for the market? You know, is it a must-have versus a nice-to-have? That's number one. Um, second is, can I take it to the market in a cost-effective manner? So I think those are the two sort of qualitative things you're trying to answer. And then depending on the business, I think it the, the KPIs usually include, you know, ARR, and depending on what stage you're investing in, you know, ARR is a good indicator of um, validation, um, the growth rate, how fast you're growing, um, churn, and whether you're seeing low churn or, or high churn. Um, and we also look for, and again, this, this may depend from business to business. I mean, these are financial metrics, but we're also looking for um, how to measure the value that your customer is getting out of it. You know, whether it's ROI, whether it's, you know, speed to detection for a cybersecurity company, um, or whether it's, uh, you know, certain automation metrics um, for, for a robotics company. So financial metrics, business metrics, and then on the go-to-market side, you know, you're, you're usually looking for some kind of a sales efficiency metric. Um, so that could be burn multiple, uh, you know, magic number, um, things like that. But, uh, you know, for early stage companies, um, you know, it's really three to five metrics, if that, that, uh, that you're trying to, that, that, that matter. Yep. Totally agree. I think it makes a lot of sense. So that's a good breakdown. Very simplistic, yeah, simplistic way to look at it. I, I appreciate that approach. Hello, this is Ryan here. Real quick, if you are enjoying this episode, please hit the subscribe button and leave a comment or review. If you want more help or just want to learn more about what the top SaaS CEOs and founders are doing, check out my website at www.ryanstaley.io. Join my newsletter, check out other free content resources I have there, and let me know if you want to scale your business. Now back to the episode. So with the, I mean, obviously it's, it's within the, the company name that you're in innovation endeavors. Like let's talk about the elephant in the room, you know, with the speed of acceleration of AI over the last 10 months, you know, what are you like, I guess, like what's your take on it in terms of how it's affecting the overall startup scene and, and, you know, the history that you've had in it, like, how is it different today versus yesterday or a year ago? with like table stakes, execution, everything. We'd love to just hear your take on that. Um, I think it's, um, I think first of all, it's it's huge. I think it's, it's, it's gonna impact everything. It's kind of like, um, you know, people used to ask, are you a cloud company? Are you not a cloud company? And now everybody's a cloud company. And I think, um, Many founders starting with started with you know okay how do I incorporate Gen AI into what I do to you know many founders are looking at okay how do I fundamentally change how things are done using Gen AI capabilities so my point is I think it's going to perpetuate through current companies and current products and it's going to enable many many new um, it's going to enable people to rethink how they do things and I think it's going to enable people to build new vertical AI apps They're, it's going to enable people to build 
new apps for cybersecurity, for automation, for climate, and so on. So I think it's all pervasive. It's it's like I think a super exciting time uh, to be doing this. Yeah, I, I think it's exciting too. Just with everything that's possible. What do you see as the downside or dangers to how fast things are happening? Um, I think two things. One is, um, again, it goes back to, I think the toolkit that's available to innovators just got like 10x better. And I think if you're a large company, you know, people are trying to figure out, okay, what does this mean for privacy? What does this mean for data sets that I can use and so on? So I think startups are going to be able to just move much faster because they can take more risks. Um, so I think the incumbents will have to figure out, uh, you know, what risks they can take. And uh, I think they can get out innovated. So that's one. Uh, I think secondly, um, I think we're still trying to figure out things like hallucination. We're trying to figure out what data sets um, are going into these models and I think people are figuring out fundamental things like copyright and who gets credit for what is created and things like that but I'm all for speed and I think we're going to probably break a couple of things on the way and we'll figure it out what, what, what I mean like what spaces do you see based on like your macro view that are most ripe for disruption specifically with AI um I think, first of all, anything that's text-based uh, automation, uh, I think LLMs are just tremendously good at. So that includes a lot of financial services. Um, that includes you know, professions like legal and uh, compliance and so on. So anything or even you know, enterprise use cases, you know, search and sales and gleaning insights out of... Uh, uh, just massive repositories um, of, you know, whether it's sales calls or customer support calls and figuring out, okay, what's working in the product, what's not working in the product. So I think that's text-based. I think it's up for, for grabs. I think if you're a creator, you know, it could be uh, video, you could be like a graphic designer and so on. I think this is going to have a tremendous impact. Um, I think that's sort of available um, in the short frame, in the short time frame, I think even in things like robotics and autonomous driving and so on, it's enabling um, founders to do things much faster because now they can use these models to do parts of stack that they were doing before. So I think this this cuts across um, a big cross section. But if you're especially a text based kind of an application, you know, anything classification, um, taxonomy, I think that's, that's very ripe for disruption right now. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I agree. I think, uh, I mean, I'm seeing a lot of that, like even with you're talking about like video and graphics, let's take an example. That's not like a core competency of mine. And one of the things that, that happened was once I started using it, I, I had capabilities that I didn't have the skill sets before. Right. And, yeah. and not just like, Capabilities like I could do it really, really well within minutes of something that I couldn't, I couldn't, that would have taken me days, right? And and I didn't even have it. So that was something that was eye-opening for me uh, on the graphics and video side. If you look at, oh, that's graphics. Now let's look at video. So video, one of the interesting things that is happening now with like Runway ML, which I'm not, mm -hmm. I'm sure you're probably familiar with that. Yeah. And there's others. Yeah. 
you're starting to be able to create videos that in in products, I should say, when I say products like short movies, mm-hmm. that because of the angle changes and everything would take like 60 different people to touch it. And one person can create that now. So like there's changes like that, that that's happening. What I'm curious on your take is like what I've seen most startup founders from what I've talked to. And I mentioned this before the show, talking to a couple hundred over the last 18 months. Right. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. one of the things that's really, really interesting to me is especially recently, I've, I've talked to a lot of them and not very many are implementing it in a strategic manner for their people. They're all focused on mm-hmm. the product side first. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Are you seeing anything different? Are you seeing any organizations really, really focus on AI enablement across their organization at all or no? I think people are definitely using AI to give superpowers to their people. So I'll, I'll give you an example. So we we hosted a supply chain event uh, last night here in Seattle. And uh, one of the speakers talked about um, you know, how they are able to now take in vast amounts of data from disparate sources, you know, from retail stores, mm-hmm. from online, this and that, put in a data lake and enable people to ask questions about, hey, is my product going to be um, out of stock at the following retailers? Or show me all the retailers where my product may be out of stock based on velocity and this and that. And, you know, highlight that, show it to the retailer and automatically send them an email saying, hey, we would like to, you know, restock yourselves on a Wednesday versus a Monday. Um, and I mean, this is an internal use case. And right. look at um, sort of how many steps got taken out. Uh, and the retailer is happy, the manufacturer is happy, and you know, it's, it's a great example of sort of an internal AI productivity use case. So um, obviously, I think people are trying to enhance the products that they sell first. So there's a lot of focus on, okay, how do I make my product you know, 2x, 10x better? Um, by incorporating these new capabilities. But I think we're seeing more and more examples of internal use cases now. Okay, that's great. I mean, that's a great example. And so with that, how are they doing that? Did they enable agents or were they using, like, what, how did they make that example happen, like on the back end? So we didn't talk about their exact architecture, but my understanding is they they created a large data lake mm-hmm. um, where they consumed all this data and they put a conversational agent on top of it okay. where where you could query the data and say, hey, show me this, show me that. And it would generate all these exceptions and then they could close the loop by saying, okay, um, I'm going to you know, send an email or place a call on your behalf to do X, Y, Z. And that could have taken like days or weeks or maybe it wasn't even possible because how siloed the data was and how difficult it was to kind of organize it, structure it, query it. Love them. Yeah. Any other great use cases that you've seen kind of similar to that that you're hearing about that's blowing your mind or that you're just really impressed with? Internal use cases? Yeah, internal use cases. You know, I, uh, we're, seeing, um, we're seeing use cases around um, making sense of your product feedback. Um, so, you know, I think most most companies would agree that there is delayed flow of information from customer support to product to engineering. And we are seeing use cases where um, instead of customer support synthesizing this information and conveying it to product, conveying it to engineering, product managers are able to now go in and query all these customer support uh, calls and say, okay, show me about the top three complaints last uh, in the last one week. Um, uh, so I think that shortens 
the the latency or that shortens the the feedback loops between yeah, these companies. Right. So I think the feedback from the customer to the product, I think that that's happening much faster. So we are seeing companies do that. We're seeing some of our companies uh, do that. Love that. Yeah, I mean, that's highly, highly useful. So it's, it's almost the same thing, right? They're basically taking a data lake or putting all the information in a data lake and then leveraging a, a chatbot on top of it, an internal chatbot, and then extracting the information in effectively real time, right? So they could look up the queries, quantity, all that kind of stuff, right? Yeah, I mean, these are, I mean, again, the second use case is all sort of text-based. So like right. super easy to kind of put together and automate, but very valuable. Yeah, highly valuable. Highly and valuable. I mean, it, it, that was hard to do like 18 months ago. Well, that brings us to my next point. This is, I had no, no basically push to talk about this today or interest, but like as of, what was it? Yesterday, ChatGPT or OpenAI released their enterprise version, yeah. right? And then as of today, you see Google releasing everything with their mm-hmm. Duet and their Copilot from Palm 2, I believe. So mm-hmm. what's your take on those two models? And would just love to get your your take basically those those business cases are almost like exactly aligned with what the value prop I think is for the enterprise option for for both those models. So, what's your take on those two events happening, and then what's the effect you think it's going to have on the marketplace? Look, I think, and I think Microsoft announced their enterprise uh, uh, um, product. I think maybe it was just two weeks ago, and then OpenAI followed two weeks later. And so they're like competing, collaborating. Um, I think there's a lot of gaps right now. Uh, and we see a number of startups that are coming into, you know, coming in with, you know, Gen AI for enterprise and they are sort of solving this and that. So I think if you look at a traditional organization like a Procter & Gamble or whatever, um, you know, they have to think about privacy. They have to think about the right use cases. They have to think about who is going to build it and so on. So I think this is like building sort of the developer's uh, workbench. Um, and enterprises have very different needs. So I think I'm, I'm very happy that these products have come out, but it's going to take probably a couple of years for all this to mature. Really? Yeah. Where do you think the biggest gaps are now then? And I, I think I know that you're going to answer, but I, I want to ask anyways, because I have my opinion on it, but would love to hear yours. Yeah. I mean, if, if you're an enterprise, you need something end-to-end right ideally or you're patching together a number of tools so it starts from you know data ingestion to you know aggregating the data to building the models on top of it to figuring to sort of testing if the model is doing what it is doing fine tuning is not an easy problem at all Um, Mm -hmm. and then once you deploy it you know getting some feedback from the user or from the product on how the model is performing and ultimately detecting drift and so on so it's all the way from sort of ingestion to observability and uh, security. So it's a, it's a pretty broad surface area. And I think most of the action so far here has been on, okay, oh, I can ask this question, but I think to productionalize it um, for, for an enterprise, you know, it, it sort of every part of the, um, of the production process has to be kind of made more robust. Yeah. No, I think you nailed it. And so we are getting close up on time though. And so I guess a couple of questions to round things out. Would love to get your perspective for any future company that's looking for investment right now, whether it be seed or series A, like what's the, the top three tips you would recommend or give them to make them highly investable 
um, in terms of your eyes or any other investor's eyes? So first of all, I started both my companies in a downturn. Uh, first was in 2001. Uh, second one was in 2009, 2010. So it's a great time to do this. Uh, I think is hiring is easier. Um, you know, the expectations that employees have are less crazy. And, you know, people who really want to be in a startup want to do it. So I think it's a great time to start a company. So I'm, I'm like, you know, yeah, let's, let, let's do it. Um, second, I think um, in times like this, you know, where the budgets are tight and there's a lot of scrutiny from, from the buyers, um, you're only going to make progress if you really have a sort of a must-have product versus a nice-to-have product. So I think you don't want to kid yourself. You want to be really, really sort of vigilant about what you're hearing from the market. And if it's not a must-have product, you're going to have a hard time selling and you're probably going to have a hard time uh, raising money. So I would sort of seriously zoom in on that. And I think the other thing is keep your burn low. Um, I think we're coming out of an environment where the funding was cheap and so on, and the you know hiring was easy, and those companies are struggling because once you built up that burn, people get into this rationalization mode. Um, so going back to what we talked about, till you kind of have evidence of product market fit and you know a scalable go to market, keep your burn low. Uh, outside of that, I mean, there's so much opportunity right now. I think it's just a phenomenal time to be doing this. Yeah. No, I, I think I think you nailed it, man. I think. It does. It does. It's kind of a fail safe to make sure you're like, you actually have a really, really good product and really good to go to market right now. So as an investor, it's got to be a great time too, right? You know, like um, money's not free anymore. Um, well, I guess you look at it both sides, but I, I get what you're saying. So, so Harpy, we're up on time though. Where can people find you? Where can they find out more about innovation endeavors? And then we'll take it from there. Yeah. So um, innovationendeavors.com is our URL. And my email address is harpy at Innovation Endeavors. So H-A-R-P-I at Innovation Endeavors. And, you know, we love to meet people even before they've started thinking about starting a company. So if you're doing anything cool um, in in these areas we talked about, you know, and even if you're not starting a company, uh, we'd love to meet. We put together a number of events for, for builders. So we'd love to have you be a part of it. So yeah, reach out. And I'm always happy to chat with uh, with, with founders. Awesome, man. Well, your advice was sage today, so I appreciate it. Uh, some some fire takes that you have. Uh, so thanks for being on the show, man. It was a pleasure. Brian, likewise. Uh, awesome. I really enjoyed the conversation. All right. Well, thank you, sir. And we will see you on the next episode. Thank you for checking out The Scale Up Show. My mission in life is to help founders and revenue leaders avoid all the pain and suffering in revenue growth so they can flip it and create a life of their own design. So if you enjoyed this show, please like, review, share it on social, and more importantly, just share it with a friend. Share it with someone that you think could learn and benefit from what you heard on today. But the more we get the message out, the more people we could help, the bigger the impact we make, and the bigger the community gets, which helps everybody. So once again, thank you for being a loyal listener. I appreciate you and look forward to seeing you on the next episode.